Let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Father, uh, we come now to your word. It's amazing to us that we have the very word of God before us. We've got all kinds of words that come to us in the course of a day. Uh, and yet these words that I shall read, these words are yours. Um, and we can trust them uh, completely and wholly. And so we pray now that you would uh, uh, put them deep within us, that we may uh, believe them. Overcome, I pray, uh, every resistance that we might have to believing them uh, and work them in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to James in chapter 5. I want to read again these verses, beginning with verse 13 through the end. Uh, of the chapter. And just again, a reminder, uh, after I read, we're going to say together that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You don't need to look at your paper. You don't need to look up at anything. You can, that's really easy. You can just say that. And my hope is that every time you pick up the Bible, you do two things. One, before you read it, you pray. And second, you know that even though the grass withers and the flowers fall, that the word you've just read will stand forever. James chapter 5, verse 13, please. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Good. Very, very good. A lot of you looked up when you said that. That was good. All right. Now, I want to take up, as you might imagine, only a piece of this. We've got one more probably after this in James, but let's pick up a piece of this. It begins in verse uh, 16, in the middle of verse 16, really. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, every time I read that, there's something that startles me. A couple of things, really. But the first thing that startles me is the expression about Elijah, that he had a nature like ours. Uh, The New International Version, uh, at least in one of the New International Versions over the years, uh, puts it like this. Uh, Elijah was like us. And I think, wow. What's James after here? Why does he say that? And can that really be true? I mean, Elijah was considered to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest prophet in ancient Israel. Um, So great was he thought to be that when Jesus showed up, they thought he was Elijah. And so... When I read that I'm like him, he's like me, we have a nature like mine, I think, what really is that? What, you, what point are you really trying to make? When I, when I read this morning from uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, the beginning, it was, it was the beginning of a, of a piece that James mentions here about 
Elijah's prayers being such that he controlled by them the weather, the rain. Um, so First Kings chapter 17 begins talking about Elijah and he says that it's not going to rain anymore for till he says it is going to rain. And I think, yeah, that sounds like me. Um, and then, then after he says that, he flees and God says you go to this particular brook and you'll get water there. And since there's no food there, you're in hiding. Since there's no food, the ravens, the birds of ravens, will bring you bread and meat every evening and every morning. And I go, yeah, happens to me all the time. Sitting on my deck, birds bring me food. Um, and then uh, uh, after that, the brook dries up because there's no rain. So Elijah um, has to deal with his own praying and uh, there's no rain. And, and so the Lord says, well, go to Zarephath. You're going to meet a widow there and her son and she'll feed you. And so he goes there and he sees her. And, and when he when he sees her, uh, he says, uh, give me some food. She says, I, I only have a handful of flour and enough oil to make for one meal for my son and me. And then we're going to die. And because uh, remember, there's a drought, there's a famine, there's no rain. And so Elijah says, no, 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 make me something to eat and then make you all something to eat and, and it'll be fine. And nobody's going to die. And, 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 and then her, uh, her, her, her flower basket and her oil jar never run out the whole time he's with him. And I go, yeah, that's just like me. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, after that, um, her, her son dies. And she thinks that there's a curse on her. She must have not done something right in caring for the prophet. And, and so Elijah then takes the son and kind of puts his body on the son and, and, and raises him up to life. And I go, yeah, I do that all the time. Uh, and you think, well, and then, and then after that, he, he goes and he confronts the king, Ahab. And I think, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then, uh, after that, he confronts the, 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 the priest of Baal on Mount Carmel. We all know that situation where, where he, he Baal's the god of the storm. And so he, he says, well, let's, I've stopped the rain already, but, but let's deal with this. So I'm going to make uh, some couple of sacrifices on these altars, put some wood down, and we'll pray to our gods and see which god can, you know, torch the sacrifice. And so the the priests of Baal do that, and they, they pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and then Elijah insults them. You should read it in Hebrew. Uh, Elijah insults them uh, terribly about their God. And then he says, all right, get some, get some more water and three times douse the wood at my sacrifice, the sacrifice I've put together. And, 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 and then after he does all that, he prays, and the Lord sets the wood on fire consumes the sacrifice. And I think, yep, <laughs> that's just like me. Um, and then he, he, he makes um, uh, Ahab's wife uh, Jezebel a bit upset with him and she gets angry and so he runs in fear away from her and I think, oh, the fear part, I get that. That's, that's starting to sound a lot more like me. Then he gets, he gets really exhausted and depressed and I go, okay, I, I get that. And he prays that he'll die. And I go, well, I don't want to worry you, but you know, uh, and, and so you start thinking that I get, I get that, uh, all, 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 all of that. And then 
But what's surprising is that he prays in the midst of his depression, which is very unlike depressed people. They go, rats, just one-upped me again. And then uh, the Lord hears his prayer, of course, and by very normal means, he restores them. He says, sleep and eat. And But then God speaks to him. And not only does Elijah get restored, if you will, physically and spiritually, not only does he not die, but he never dies. <laughs> the Lord swoops him up at the end of his days into glory. And I, I got to be honest with you, that's not my expectation. And so I think, so James, what are you after here? What do you mean that, that we're, we're alike Elijah and me? How, how did, what, what are you after? And what he's after is this. He's saying, listen, Elijah prayed and his pr- prayers were powerful and effective. You're just like Elijah, so pray that your prayers would be powerful and effective. Really? And James seems to be saying yes. And the reason this all comes up, of course, is that James is in the middle of talking about praying. Remember, he's talking about praying in all kinds of ways and all kinds of situations. And so he says you should pray for yourself. You should have elders pray for you at times. You should pray for each other. You should pray uh, when you're suffering. You should pray when you're sick. You should pray when you find yourself in sin. And so he's saying in all kinds of circumstances, in all kinds of ways, you should be praying. Now, so to encourage us to pray, he pulls Elijah up and he says, look at how Elijah prayed. He prayed in such a way that when he prayed, it would stop raining. It did. And then three and a half years later, when he prayed, it would start raining again. It did. So, and I'm thinking, where are you going with this? And he says, so since he's just like you and you're just like him, then pray. Oh, wow. And pray. And he generalizes it. No, generalizes it by this expression. The prayer of a righteous person uh, has great power as it is working. That's a rather awkward way of putting it, I think. Um, But it's a difficult sentence to translate. Um, um, uh, The marginal note that I have in my ESV, another way to put it is the effective prayer of a righteous person has great power. Uh, I think uh, the NIV has put it, uh, the, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. I think that's the easiest way to get around it, uh, the, to get your mind around it, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Um, James believed that. Obviously, because he said it here, but but he believed it. We we get it in the course of his letter in chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting and so forth. And James had just set up a situation where he says, you'll go through difficulties, through trials. God has a purpose in the trial. The purpose in the trial is that you persevere, you stick to it, if you will. And when you do that, what you'll find is that you mature in your faith. And so the way that you mature in your faith is by persevering in the midst of trial. And if you're scratching your head in the midst of that and you're wondering, what's going on here and how do I navigate this trial? He says, pray. 
And he has every expectation that God will give you wisdom in the midst of the difficulty through which you're going. He's not equivocating. He says, yeah, pray in faith. But of course he's saying that. Don't doubt. Well, of course he says that. If you're going to pray, pray believing that God's going to hear your prayer. And he does. He believes. And then in chapter 4, he puts this in verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. And everything up to that. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In other words, he says, you recognize there's things you need. You have needs. And, 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 and the way that you go about getting them is, is by coveting other, what other people have. And you, then you quarrel with each other about who has what. And he says, you don't have because you don't ask. He's saying you should be praying about these things, not fighting about them. If you have a need, pray about that. Don't fight the person who has it. <laughs> Don't covet what they have. Be grateful they have it. Pray, he says. He, he must believe that praying brings some results to meet needs. So he says, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And then you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Praying is asking things according to God's will. What he knows is best and desires best for us. And so he says, but, but pray. But really ask. We must believe it. Because we start every Sunday as a group of people by praying, essentially. We call it the prayer of invocation. <clears throat> And, and that isn't just fancy talk. That's, that's, that's what we're doing. We're invoking. We're calling upon God as we gather together. And the expectation when we call upon him is that he'll actually be here. Not just because he's God and he's everywhere, but be here with us as his, as his people. When I come early on Sundays to pray and I walk around, I walk through your pews often. That's why I have bruises about knee high. Because anyway, that's the result of my praying. I'm suffering for Jesus. But, uh, but, but I pray that, and I can pray for you individually because you always sit in the same places. <laughs> Which I really like, by the way. If you move, it just throws me off. Jarbos are down here today. And it's, you should be over there where you belong. And it's, but I know why you're here, but that's okay. Uh, it's okay. But, but, uh, uh, but I pray for you as I walk through. Let them know, God, your presence here. You see? And I go to the back doors and I pray for the greeters. And I, I pray, God, when, when, when the greeters greet, may the folks who come in here know that they're being greeted by the Holy Spirit. To enter into this place. That's what it means to have a prayer of invocation to call upon. We must believe it. I believe it. I believe that, that God does that. And, and, and is present with us. And then we pray a prayer of confession. We pray that because we've sinned. And I, I pray that, and we pray that I trust because we're seeking the forgiveness of God. And when we pray that in Jesus' name and all that that means, then I trust that he actually does forgive us. That at that point in time, that you can have assurance that you're forgiven. Sometimes second service people say to me, you know, that private time of confession was too short today. And they go, well, yeah, I confessed first service. I didn't have that much. 
Uh, and so what am I supposed to say? I say stuff, I sinned, and they already confessed. And the Lord says, uh, what are you talking about? That's already out of the books. But, but you, you get it. We, we should know that we're forgiven. We believe that we pray these prayers. We're really, when we pray at the offering time about the mission of the church and about being a, a generous people and all of that, that isn't to manipulate you into giving. If you want to do that, we'd pass plates and I'd watch you. Uh, but, uh, but it's, it's to, it's to, to pray that, to give thanks that God has given to us and, and to pray that he'd make us generous and we'd love giving so that the gospel could really go forward, so that we could really help people in some tangible ways with the money and all that. Uh, we have a place to worship and so forth and so on. So, so we, I believe God will answer that. That's why I, I, I don't preach stewardship sermons every November. I, I preach about money if it pops up in the text that I happen to be in. But, but I, I trust our prayers. That when we pray, that God will hear us. There's some months at an elders meeting that uh, the financial statements go around, and and uh, and I say something really uh, as a former economist to say something really intelligent, like I don't know what to say about this, but we really need to pray. You know, and we rarely have ever send out letters or any of that talk to you about it, but we just pray because we trust that God will hear us when we pray, and that He will He'll bless. Us. I pray something called the prayers of the people after the sermon. And the whole point of that really is to take this message that has just been considered and, and pray that God would apply it specifically to us. We, we pray a prayer of illumination before I read the scripture, not after, but before I read the scripture so that, that God will, will, will enable us to see it and, and really embrace it and believe it. We have elders who pray after because we believe that God will hear their prayers as they're praying specifically for particular needs that you might have. So, so we must believe it too. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Prayer of a righteous person is has great power as it works in its in its workings, and we uh, we get that. And, and 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 as I think about that, I think, well, sure, Elijah was righteous. That's why I work for him. Me, not so much. Uh, you know, I look at at the life of the prophet, and I see how God worked and spoke to him, and all of that, and 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 I say, well, you know, I get it, James. You're trying to say we're alike, but really. We're different. He must have been way more righteous than me because his prayers seem to be so much more powerful, so much more effective. And I think if I said that to James, he'd say, no, you missed my point. You've missed my point entirely. The point is, Bill, and the point is, church, that you're righteous just as Elijah was righteous. He was heard because he was righteous in the sight of God. You are heard because you're righteous too. This isn't a matter of degree because you're both, you're all as believers, righteous, you see. And I think, well, how can that be? Well, righteous, biblically speaking, essentially means perfect in the eyes of God. You're right according to God's standards, God's standards of the Ten Commandments, God's standards of the summary of that, those commandments that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You, 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 you're perfect in that. And I think 
But I'm not. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear about that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that my righteousness is like, is like, um, uh, filthy rags before the Lord. And I, so I scratch my head and I wonder, how is it that I could ever be made righteous, ever be righteous, considered righteous in the very presence of God? Well, here's how. Turn to 2 Corinthians and chapter 5, or look on our bulletin at the response to uh, the assurance of forgiveness, because uh, that verse is there too. So 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 21, please. See, I, I think the reason that, that James has this passage here is because we wonder if God really hears us when we pray. Does he really hear us when we pray? I don't know if you've ever thought that while you're praying, but I thought that while I was praying. And then I began to think, well, why would he hear me? Maybe I should get somebody else to go pray. <laughs> right? Well, here's how. Second Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, and the he there is the Father, for our sake, he made him, the him there is Jesus. So, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, there's a righteousness that God demands and a righteousness that God gives. A righteousness that he demands, rightly so, and yet this righteousness that he gives as a, as a gift. And, and so here's how it comes to us. For our sake, important, or for us, for our sake, he made him who uh, knew no sin. Let me skip a couple of words. Who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. Jesus knew no sin. He himself said that I always do that which pleases the Father. Uh, his friends even said about him that he didn't sin. Peter writes this in First Peter and uh, chapter 2, uh, verse um, 22, about Jesus. He says, he committed no sin... Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile it in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one, to him who judges justly. In other words, Peter takes worst case scenario, most difficult situation to not sin. And the most difficult situation to not sin is when someone is falsely accusing you and when someone's beating you to a pulp unjustly. Right? Uh, those are difficult places, <laughs> times not to sin. And so he says of Jesus, though, there wasn't any deceit found in his mouth. He didn't lie to try to get out of it. When he was reviled, unjustly criticized and accused, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued to trust God in the midst of that most difficult situation. So he didn't sin. The author of Hebrews simply said he was tempted as we yet. Without sin. And when I think of that, I think must have been way more intense for Jesus. I mean, for me, sadly, I sometimes bail all two thirds of the way in, sometimes a third of the way into a temptation. Right. But Jesus never gave in. He always experienced the intensity of the temptation, but he never sinned at all. So he who knew no sin. 
For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. We get this. He put our sin, the guilt of it, upon Jesus. That's the meaning of his blood, his death for us. Again, in that, Peter, that passage of first, in First Peter that I read about Jesus being sinless, Peter talks about this uh, very thing. He puts it like this. He said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. That is, your spiritual um, uh, death was dealt with uh, there as Jesus, as Jesus died. As he was forsaken, if you will, by his father. As he experienced all the punishment, the wrath of God that we deserve. That's why we like the big word propitiation. It means that he exhausted God's wrath that was really against us. He knew no sin, but our sin was upon him. That, that's what, uh, what threw Martin Luther, one of the things, as he considered um, the cross of Christ. This is the 500th year of Luther's um, uh, nailing, uh, 500th anniversary of Luther nailing the uh, 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg. Um, so we'll have to talk about Luther this fall from time to time. But one of the things that, that, that got Luther, he couldn't understand why the father would forsake his son when his son had done nothing for which to be forsaken. And then he realized, oh, it wasn't for his sin, but for ours. And, and, and thus he took the guilt of our sin upon himself and died. So for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God transfers our sin to Jesus and then he transfers Jesus's, Christ's righteousness to us. We see it. Uh, Turn to Romans in chapter 1 very quickly. Romans chapter 1, please. And verse 17. Let me begin with verse 16. The apostle writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, that is, in this gospel and the power of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. See, this righteousness comes not because we've merited it or achieved it. The righteousness comes by faith. God transfers, as we believe in Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus to us. In fact, I have a marginal note in in mind. Another way to translate this last sentence is, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Yes. That's the gift of righteousness. And then in chapter 3, verse 21 of Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. That little word justified is the same word as righteous. Are declared righteous, we could say, by his grace as a gift. God transfers this righteousness to us as a gift 
through the redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, satisfies wrath, by his blood to be received by faith. You see, Elijah was righteous and we're righteous. We're the same in that sense. He was righteous. As Abraham was righteous, turn to chapter 4, verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's way of saying it's always been like this. There's never been any other way. It's always, all the way back to Abraham. He was declared righteous because of faith, not because of what he did. And the same is true. We would save Elijah. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 5, verse 17. For if, here Paul's comparing Adam and Jesus, what Adam brought because of his sin and what Jesus brings because of his death. For if, because of one man's trespass, that's Adam's, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, the result of Adam's sin. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Do you get that? I mean, that's why uh, Luther, our dear friend, referred to this as an alien righteousness. <laughs> it comes from outside. You know, uh, aliens have invaded our bodies, but it's the, it's, it's the invasion of the righteousness of Christ, you see. It, it, it isn't inherent in us. It's, it's a gift. It's transferred to us. It's imputed to us. That's why we can, we talk about the word justified. We can say that it means just as if I never sinned. And we can also say this, just as if I've always obeyed. I can get the just as if I never sinned, but, but the just as if I ever obeyed is pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, I think it was last Sunday, perhaps, we read from uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 60. Uh, the question is, how are you right with God? And the answer is, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me, of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of have never having kept any of them, and even though I'm still inclined toward evil, I mean, I get all of that, and my conscience does accuse me all the time. Nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need do is accept, I would put receive, but I'm not going to change something this old. Uh, all that, uh, all I need do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. Wow. Uh, some theologians have called this the great exchange. <laughs> what a deal. I give him my sin. Actually, he takes it. And he gives me his righteousness. And what that means is that I can really pray. I can enter into the presence of God. 
It's really the same as the little expression we use in Jesus' name. We often tack that on to the end of our prayers. And that's fine to do, right to do. We should do it in the beginning. There's a book about prayer and praying, the, praying that says praying backwards. And the author's intent is to say we should start with in Jesus' name. I used to always think, well, it's over now. Uh, you know, and in church it means you can cough. I don't know why. And it's a long prayer and somebody says amen, everybody coughs. Yeah, but, uh, but, but in G- when we're praying in Jesus' name, what we're praying is we're saying, it's not on my merit that I stand before you. I have no right, God, to be in your presence. I have, I have no right to expect that you'll receive me, no right to expect that you'll hear me, no right to expect that you'll answer me. I'm just a sinner. So, so how can I think that you're going to hear me? And then we say, in Jesus' name. If we really mean that, what we're saying is, I come in his merit. You, Jesus is in your presence. I come through him. And the Father says, welcome. Why? Because you're righteous. It's an alien righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. It's perfect righteousness. But I, I accept you. And that's James' point. Don't not pray. Because you think that God won't hear you because you're not good enough. You're not. But you aren't coming in your own goodness, but you're coming in the righteousness of Jesus. And therefore, he will always hear you. And so then you say, cool, that means I can pray to stop the rain. (laughs) Or I can pray to start the rain. No, uh, that was Elijah's calling. He was called by God as a prophet in a particular point in time to do the things he did. And it made perfect sense to him, according to the word of God, to pray as he did. Because one of the disciplines or judgments, if you will, against sinful ancient Israel is, is famine. And so they were in the midst of, of, a, of a sinful time because Ahab was their king. And so to pray that it would stop raining made perfect sense. And then, because he was dealing with these um, priests of Baal. Baal was the god of the storm. And so it made perfect sense to say, no, God's more powerful than that. Because what made the righteous man Elijah's prayers powerful was God. He's the one that makes our prayers powerful. Sometimes we use the expression, it's not bad to use, I believe in the power of prayer. No, you believe in the power of God through our prayers. <laughs> And, and, and that's the point of it. When God receives us, because we stand in the righteousness of Christ, we have every expectation actually to be heard. And when God hears us, you see, then there's power and effect. And so Elijah listened and knew the word of God. We need to know the word of God. It is very unlikely, generally speaking, that God will speak to us as he did Elijah and say, pray about this or pray about that specifically. But he's given to us his word. I used to have a little drill with my kids when we were doing Bible stuff. And I would say, how do you hear God? And they would do this. Right? <laughs> okay? Uh, I know that's a little odd. But, but how do we hear him, right? It's, he speaks to us. How does he do that? By way of his word, you see. And so, as we learn his word, what does God desire of us? What does he desire for us as his people? And so I begin to pray, oh God, may your word abide in me as I abide in you. 
that I might bear fruit. What's the fruit? My witness, yes. And the fruit of the Spirit in me. So, So God, enable me to be a witness for you in a way that's good and right and, 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 and please form Christ in me. May, your, may the fruit of your spirit be seen in me. I pray for the effectiveness of his word. A few weeks ago, Rick preached from Matthew chapter 9 that we're to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. And so pray that. Pleases him. How's he going to say? I don't know exactly who's going to go. But, but, but pray Why? Because that's my heart's desire. Why is it my heart's desire? Because I know the Lord and I know uh, uh, his work. And so I pray that that, the laborers would go forth, you see. I pray for the effectiveness of his word in my life, that he would produce holiness in me, that he would enable me to put sin to death and to live unto him, you see. And I I pray as I go before his throne of grace, as the author of Hebrews tells me, I pray that that I would receive grace to help me in time of need. What is that grace? How is it going to come specifically? I don't know exactly, but I pray and trust him that he hears my prayers because I stand before him in the righteousness of Christ. So I know he hears me. And I know he receives me. And he hears me favorably. That's why I love the benediction. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When the Lord shines upon you and gives his countenance upon you, that's a good thing, right? When it's dark, that's not so good. But when, it's, when his countenance is shining upon you, and that's the sense of it. When I stand in the righteousness of Christ, his countenance is upon me. It shines upon me, you see. James point, pray. Don't hesitate to pray. Pray when you're suffering. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sick. Pray when you sin. God will hear you because he's transferred the guilt of your sin upon Christ And he's transferred the righteousness of Christ upon you. Go boldly before his throne of grace. Leave nothing out. Never hesitate. Because the prayer of one who stands in the righteousness of Christ is powerful. And it's effective because God hears it. dare I say. Let's pray. Father, um, we believe you hear us as we pray because here we are professing that we believe in Jesus and thus know that we stand in his righteousness before you. Like our brother Elijah stood in righteousness before you. We stand in righteousness before you, justified. So please hear our prayers. Cause us to be a praying people. Cause us to know that as believers you receive us, accept us. Listen as we pray. And that you are our heavenly father and thus have only that which is good for us. So in every circumstance, 
whether we're suffering or that we're happy. Cause us to pray. And may we receive from you every good and perfect gift. We pray this in Jesus' name.